Good morning. My name is R. Dallas Green. Welcome to Grace. Um, knowing we'd be in an election season and believing we need to pray, I chose to do a seven-part series entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. But unpacking this powerhouse prayer, the Lord's Prayer of the last five weeks, this is our sixth week, and today we talk about, Lord, deliver us from evil, a prayer for rescue. We know there is uh, evil in our world, though oftentimes evil is not labeled as evil. What happened, um, what happened <clears throat> in the fall was that the good world that God had made began to have evil. One of the highest ranking e- uh, angels rebelled against God, and now the world is stalked with evil. There is darkness over the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but there certainly is plenty of darkness plenty of evil. What happened down at the Emmanuel African-American Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, on June 17, 2015, was evil. I mean, you don't have to be AME to feel their pain. During a prayer service, Wednesday night, nine people were gunned down, including the pastor. The shooter, whose name was Dylan Roof, was welcomed warmly into their church, into their Bible study, and prayer time. And then when it became for the prayers, he opened fire. He admitted that committing the crime was, he was hoping to ignite a race war. It was a heinous hate crime against African Americans, an act of domestic terrorism. On June the 19th, which just a couple days after, there was a hearing, um, And those who were affected by this were allowed to speak to the gunman in his first court appearance. One by one, they offered to to him forgiveness and said they were praying for his soul. One notable one who testified, her name was Nadine Collier, the daughter of a woman slain. She said, you took something precious from me I will never talk to her again, but I forgive you. God, have mercy on your soul. She didn't want to make room in her heart for evil, to hate. So she chose to forgive this great offense. What happened on June the 13th, 2016, down in Orlando was evil. A gunman whose name was Omar Mateen brought an assault rifle and pistol into a packed club called Pulse and started shooting, killing 49 people and wounding 53. You don't have to be part of the LGBT community to feel the pain. In his attack, Mateen pledged allegiance to ISIS and mentioned the Boston bombing. ISIS sympathizers praised the attack. President Obama said we know enough to say that it was an act of terror and of hate. The attack was against the LGBT community. It seems that there is an increase, wouldn't you say, of evil in our world. What happened down in Dallas was evil. At a very peaceful Black Lives Rally, A military veteran who served in Afghanistan, whose name was Micah Xavier Johnson, opened fire on police, killing five. The Dallas police chief, whose name is David Brown, said, 
this was a well-planned, well-thought-out, evil tragedy. Apparently, the shooter was upset having seen videos of two African-Americans shot by police in Louisiana and Minnesota. Hundreds had gathered at the rally for a very peaceful march, and then it turned violent. What does this mean to us, deliver us from evil? God, I know that there is evil in our world, but deliver us from evil in our hearts. We know there is hate. God, help me to not be a hater. We know there is division. Help me not to be a divider. God, we know there is racism. Help me not to be a racist. God, we know there is prejudice. God, help me to not be prejudicial. We know there is hate. God, teach me how to love. We know there is division. Lord, show me the path toward unity coming together. Lord, we know there is racism intergenerationally. God, help me to be delivered from that evil. Lord, we know there is prejudice. Teach me not to judge. Help me not to be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Help me to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Jesus said to his disciples and prayed in the upper room, Lord, I'm not, I'm not taking them out of this world, but protect them from the evil one. It's a prayer for deliverance. Deliver our hearts from everything that might be evil. It's a prayer for rescue. Temptation is the devil's attempt to entice us in this world through our desires into sin. But deliverance has to do with the action of being rescued. All around this room are people that have been rescued and set free and liberated and are being released, you see. Being released. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. God delivers us from evil. That's who he is. And this has a beautiful backdrop in the Old Testament I want to walk you through. So if you have a Bible, you can turn back to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. I want to walk you through one man's journey of crying out to God for deliverance. Let me read it to you in its entirety. And if you want to read with me, you can. Psalm 3, and then I'll unpack for you these verses. O Lord, he cries, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of him, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me. And you lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. So arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. When's the last time you prayed like that? (laughs) Strike all my enemies on the jaw. And break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. And may your blessing be on your people. Wow. He begins this with a complaint, believe it or not. How many are my foes? David, the author here, is making a complaint to the Lord. A man after God's own heart had enemies. Now you would expect that a king who fought the Lord's battles 
himself had fought against giants like Goliath, had taken his army to fight against the Philistines. Battle after battle, he fought against the nations that, that, that he had many, many enemies. But here, David is not talking about foreign enemies. He's talking about his own son, Absalom, and the rebellion of his son, the son of his own flesh, the son of his own loins, loins had rebelled against him. Absalom wanted to be king. The story is told in 2 Samuel 15 of how Absalom stole the hearts of the people. You see, there was chaos and dysfunction in David's family. And Absalom was exiled for a couple of years, and then he came back, and the king wouldn't speak to him. So he'd get up early, and he went to the city gate, and somebody would come with a complaint, and they'd say, and Absalom would say, what town are you from? And someone would say, one of the towns of Israel. He'd say, the king is too busy to talk with you. But I think you got a pretty good case. If I were judge, I could help you. If I were the king, you would get your justice. So he'd reach out his hand, and he'd kiss people on the hand, and he stole the hearts of the people. And now David would leave Jerusalem to go into exile with his family and his faithful few. And Absalom would take over power. And David was lamenting, Lord, how many are my foes? It strikes me that any relationship can turn antagonistic. People can turn on each other. I've seen brothers raised in the same family who ate food at the same table when their parents pass, begin to fight over inheritance. They question the distribution of assets, feeling their portion isn't fair. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? I've seen marriages go awry. A husband says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I have somebody else. I want a divorce. Now the law requires a 50-50 split, but the husband's been squirreling away money. And now they become adversarial, not talking to one another, but talking through attorneys. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? I've seen young people step into a lifestyle their parents don't approve of. They try to speak into it, and their son-daughter cuts off communication. They don't want to talk anymore. The parents feel dissed. The kids feel judged. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? This was the situation that David found himself in, that there were many adversaries rising up against me. He says his second question, Lord, how many rise up against me? Absalom had started a movement. <laughs> and when David was leaving Jerusalem, there was a guy named Shimei. You remember the story Shimei. And Shimei cussed David, cursed him, kicked up dust in his face, threw stones at David. So what he's saying is that there is enemies. My troubles are enlarged. My son has turned against me. My enemies have been multiplied. I believe that David was dealing here with a broken heart. And the question of how would he function given the fact that so many turned against him. And then not only that, there was some trash talk about David. Look at verse 2. 
he prays, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. You could be yourself this morning under attack. You know, God allows trials and tribulations to come, but Satan always uses these trials to try to tempt us and destroy us. And some may be saying to you that God will not deliver you. There is no help for you. There is no help for him in God. There is no help for her in God. This is the voice of the enemy. This is the voice of unbelief, the voice of accusation. You could be yourself in a battle with cancer. And people are saying there is no help for him. There is no help for her. But then there is the voice of faith that God has delivered his people, that God will deliver his people, that God will help me, that God has the power to heal, that God can move a mountain, that God is able. You see, we all fight battles, and we hear the various voices, and many of those voices are negative voices, not the voice of God. So we have to be still to hear the voice of God in the face of all this adversary. God will help me. God will strengthen me. God will give me wisdom. God will give me the grace to persevere. God will help me in this situation. Therein is the counter voice to the voice of unbelief. Notice what David does after he complains. He says these words, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. Oh, I love this. David expresses his confidence in the Lord. You see, David had carried many a shield into battle. And now the enemy's coming against him with their arrows, if you will. And David is defending himself with his shield and saying, The Lord has become to me my shield. I know the battle I am in. I know the fiery arrows that fly in my direction. But this shield protects me from attacks from the enemy. The shield wards off the fiery arrows and protects me from the attacks. And then he says, God, you are my glory. Huh. All that David knew now was contempt and scorn. He was leaving Jerusalem in disgrace. It actually reminds me very much of, if you remember, Richard Nixon. There he was at the pinnacle of his career, the height of success, president of the United States of America, and then a scandal erupted about him. His what he said appeared on the headlines of newspapers. Journalists, you know, parsed out every nuance of what he said. He had a limousine waiting for him, a private jet, Air Force One. But then he, was, he left office in humiliation. And now David was leaving Jerusalem humiliated. But he said, God, you are my glory. David was driven from Jerusalem, but now he's saying that God would bestow glory upon him. He looks to God by faith to give him glory. Oh, for grace to see the future glory in our present shame. Paul, reflecting on this, said, I consider that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And you lift up my head, he says, though I hang my head in sorrow. Soon I will lift my head with joy and thanksgiving. 
There is a defender for the defenseless. There is a glory for that one despised. God lifts his head. So if you walked into this place with your head bowed low, it's the Lord who lifts up your head. I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Only God can save our nation. So we look to the Lord for salvation. And then his comfort. His comfort. He he says in verse 5, I lie down and sleep. David's faith allowed him to lie down and sleep. Anxiety would have kept him awake. But he's able to sleep in the midst of trouble, surrounded by his foes. It's the Lord who blesses us with a good night's sleep. That we can sleep even though our world is not perfect and there is chaos around us. He gives to his beloved sleep. There is sleep coming from a confidence and security and well-being from the Lord. He says the Lord sustained him. And then he says in verse number 6, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. He does not underestimate the size of the enemy, but he figures that there is more of God for him than the enemy that is against him. They may be many, O Lord, but I am not afraid. I just want to tell you that God has not given to us, brothers and sisters, a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. I will not fear the enemy. I am not governed by a spirit of fear. But notice this cry. I love this part in verse 7. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. My only hope is in the Lord. Those who put their hope in him will not be disappointed. If God would arise, we would be delivered. All would be well. And that's this one. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. <laughs> And break the teeth of the wicked. Now, we, over the centuries, Christians have gone to this psalm to learn how to pray. So David is just being honest with the Lord. They're talking smack about me. Why don't you smack them down, God? Right? <laughs> I hear such evil things come out of their mouth. Why don't you just punch them in the face? It's a real honest prayer. God just closed their mouths that are talking evil about me. And then David says these words, from the Lord comes deliverance. Hmm. Do you believe that God can deliver you? Do you believe that God has delivered you? Do you believe that God can deliver our nation? Salvation belongs to the most high God. He calls us by his sovereign grace. He quickens us with his spirit. He keeps us with his power. And notice the insertion there at the end of Salah. That means be quiet and still and meditate on this. From the Lord comes deliverance. Not from the political comes deliverance. Not from the economic comes deliverance. Not from the educational comes deliverance. Not from the material, but from the Lord comes deliverance. Our God is a saving God. So, what would I say to you about this? First off, be honest with the Lord about your battle. 
God wants you to be honest. What David does here is complain. He's bringing to the Lord a complaint. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? You can cry out to God about what is going on in your life. You can complain to God about your situation. You can be honest and tell him how you feel. You can feel, you can say, Lord, it feels as if they have turned against me. It seems as if they're ganging up on me. Be honest with the Lord about your battle. Secondly, in the midst of the battle, remember who God is and pray. God isn't against you. God is your shield. You know what a shield does? A shield defends and protects. He's protecting your life. God treats people with dignity and respect. Therefore, he bestows honor and glory upon them. Man may try to strip you of that honor, but you are created with glory and honor by God. And God lifts up your head. He doesn't want you feeling defeated or ashamed or humiliated. He lifts up your head. To the Lord I cry aloud, I believe God can help me. I can't fix it. So I surrender the situation to you, oh my God. Number three, lay the situation at the feet of Jesus. Now I cannot overstress this one to you about the situation you are in of laying it at the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus is the king and we can lay any situation at his feet. A friend of mine had a huge problem and he worried about it both night and day. And I asked him, I said, have you prayed about it? He said, well, I haven't slept well for a month, but there on the pot one night, he decided to surrender this situation to God. And God gave him a peace and he slept that night through. And the next morning, he actually woke up with a resolution. You see, I lie down and sleep and I wake up and the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the trial. I will not fear the test. I will not fear the opposition. And then believe the Lord delivers. The Lord delivers. There was a man whose name was Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon. Some of you are God's man in Babylon. Some of you are God's woman in Babylon. And he resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. And God delivered Daniel time after time. And his three friends, Meshach, that one, those guys, yes. Meshach, yeah, and Abednego, right. Those guys, yes, he, he delivered them all, right? They said, our God can deliver us. We're not going to bow down to you, O king. So you may be saying like, okay, Pastor, very good, Psalm 3. But how are we to view our lives? How are we to get into this fight? Ephesians chapter 6. Spiritual warfare. Finally, Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the forces of evil. Let me make some comments to you. First off, we are in a war. <laughs> Some people would say that the Christian life is sort of like a cruise ship, you know, being entertained, being well-fed. I believe the Christian life is more like a battleship, okay? 
So we are in a war. (laughs) That's the context for our discipleship. That's the context for our growth in grace. There is a God who grows us up in the midst of the war zone. From now to the coming of Jesus, the context of our Christian living is a battle. If we expect to be peace with the world, detente with the world, a peace treaty of the world, you are deluded. We will face opposition in this world, and we shouldn't be surprised. In this battle, we need the Lord's strength in order to win. That's why it says, be strong in the Lord. A better translation would be, be strengthened in the Lord. There was a time when David, everything had turned against him. His men turned against him. The village was burned. And David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We need God's strength to win this battle. We cannot win this battle on our own. You say, how do we win the battle? We need to put on the Lord's army, God's God's armor to win, to stand up to the devil's schemes. We are not fighting against human enemies. The battle is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against ISIS. Our battle is against spiritual evil. Our battle is not against terrorism. Our battle is against spiritual darkness. Our battle is not against crime and violence and drugs in America. Our battle is against spirits that are evil. What I'm trying to tell you is that you don't... You show compassion to the victim of the war, and they've been victimized by evil. So you arm yourself for what you are up against. You, my brothers and sisters, are in a battle. And wherever there is a battle, there is a battleground. And your enemy is cunning and clever and powerful. So do not underestimate your enemy. Study your enemy because you're going to need the Lord's armor to fight with. You need God's strength to prevail. You cannot win this battle with human weapons. These weapons are made by God and are given to you. Now, before we go into this, I just want to say that God is a warrior, and God wants to fight for you, and God has been fighting for you, and God has been protecting you and defending you, but now he wants to give us the weapons with which to fight. So you say, Pastor, what are these weapons? Here we go. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, now, not every day is evil, right? But there is a day of evil. 9-11 was a very evil day. And I mentioned some other very evil days. And you yourself will have evil days. There also will be good days. But when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground having done everything to stand. So the emphasis here is on standing firm, not backing up, Not surrendering territory, not going that direction, but standing firm in your faith, you see. First, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. When a soldier tightened up his belt, he was getting ready for combat. Because in the process of tightening up his belt, he would tuck his tunic into his belt, cinch it up so it would not impede him in battle. 
To get the feel of this, imagine a football player before. Imagine the Redskins. And they've got certain equipment, right? They've got a helmet. They've got a chin strap. They've got a mouth guard. They've got shoulder pads. They've got hip pads. They've got thigh pads. They've got cleats. So before the play, he puts his mouthpiece in. He straps on his chin guard. He adjusts his pads. He hitches up his pants. He gets ready for the play. You see, the belt holds everything in place. Without a belt, a soldier was powerless because he did not have a sword. What is this thing that Jesus, or Paul is talking about here? It is the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The first thing we put on is the truth of God, of who our God is, that our God delivers us. This truth gets worked into our inner beings, and we become people of integrity. The enemy will lie and deceive. His game is falsehood and deception. But God speaks the truth to us. He's telling us truly it is a battle. Secondly, there is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is the the ground of righteous standing with God. You see, your acceptance. You have been imputed righteousness through Jesus Christ. See, there's three different kinds of righteousness. There's a self-righteousness, an imputed righteousness, and imparted righteousness. Some are trying to earn their righteousness by what they do. So, for instance, the Buddhists are saying, if you are a good Buddhist, you adhere to the teachings, you now are earning your salvation. Or a Muslim would say, if you adhere to the teachings of Islam, of Muhammad, you are earning for yourself your salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ himself is righteous. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, that when we believe in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to us. But now we begin to live a righteous life. And the breastplate of righteousness protects our heart, our emotions against the attacks of the enemy. The enemy will attack saying to you, you feel like a failure. Your growth has been so slow. You're aware of your own shortcomings. You feel that God is angry with you. You feel a sense of guilt that God is distant. This is a satanic attack, a means of opposing and destroying what God has done for you. So we put on this breastplate of righteousness. There is the belt of truth that we cinch up. There's a breastplate of righteousness we wear. And then there is the gospel of peace. Your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. Physically, our feet provide balance to the entire body. When our feet are injured, we find it difficult to move. Although our feet are a precious part of our body, they are often neglected, overlooked, until something happens to them. We want to protect our feet from harm. Now, some of us see our shoes as more of a fashion statement, right? Right? 
I wear my shoes because they look good. But the purpose of shoes is to give your feet protection. The Roman soldier wore a sandal-type shoe in battle studded with nails. The sandal pierced the ground to give him stability. The gospel of peace settles us and strengthens us and stabilizes us. You see, we have received the peace of God. So no matter what situation we go into, we shod our feet with the gospel of peace to bring peace in that situation. I really want to be a peacemaker in this situation. And so the Lord gives us peace. And then we take up this shield of faith with which we extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. The shield was about the size of a door. It fully protected the warrior in battle. The shield was the first piece of armor to come in contact with the enemy. When the enemy attacks, we protect ourselves with the shield of faith. Soldiers would dip their arrows in combustible fluids so their arrows would burn wherever they hit. When the enemy shoots his fiery darts, soldiers cover themselves with his shield, often soaked in water, and when the arrow hit the shield, it went, it would fizzle out. See, the enemy is relentlessly attacking. He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So to to win this battle, you have to soak your mind in the Word of God. It will give you a confidence in faith to quench every attack. And the helmet of salvation. Oh, I love this part. The helmet of salvation is that protects our mind, our thoughts. You see, the battle often is in the mind. And the enemy will attack our minds. They wore this helmet to protect their mind from the attacks of the enemy. <laughs> Leroy Imes, if you know that name, he was a founder of the Navigators. He was involved in an uh, attack in a Pacific island on an amphibious um, assault vehicle. And it underwent attack from the enemy, took a hit in the side, and he and his men were you know, thrown out into the water and had a scurry on the beach. He found himself in a foxhole. <laughs> and a sergeant came up to him and said, Leroy, are you okay? He said, yeah, I think I'm fine. He said, Leroy, what happened to your belt? You see, they had to wear a belt. That's where their ammunition was and their canteen and their weapon was carrying the belt and the belt was knocked off in the explosion. And then he said, Leroy, where's your uh, gun? He said, oh, I don't know. I guess I must have lost it back there. He didn't have a belt. He didn't have a gun. And he says, and where's your helmet? He said, I guess I lost my helmet too. You see, in the midst of the battle, you're going to need all this armor to protect yourself. You're going to need something on your head to protect your mind. You're going to need truth around your waist. You're going to need a weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, the very Word of God. You know, Jesus underwent three attacks from the enemy, and each time he defended himself with the Word of God. And then praying always. Prayer is the battleground for the believer. A, prayer, a prayerless church is a powerless church. But a prayerful church is a very powerful church. 
When we don't pray, we aren't even in the battle. The enemy is taking his ground, and we have no effect for the enemy, for for the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, it says here in verse number 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. If we are being tempted, Lord, lead us not into temptation. If there is evil, Lord, deliver us from evil. If there's a situation like Haiti, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. If we call to mind an offense, Lord, forgive us our debts. If it's called to mind someone who's offended us as we have forgiven those who've trespassed against us. You see, the Lord's prayer to be activated is a very powerful thing. So this morning, our prayer is, Lord, deliver us from evil. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we have gathered in the mighty name of Jesus, a name that is above every name, a name sounded the enemy must flee and fear must go. And some of us find ourselves this morning engaged in a battle. It's a battle at our workplace. It's a battle within our family. It's a battle with a health situation. It's a battle with a financial deficit. We see these um, charges and countercharges in our nation in this political season. And we just cry out to you, Lord, deliver us from evil. Where there is hate, Lord, help us not to be a hater. Where there is racism, Lord, help us not to be racist. Where there is prejudice, help us not to be prejudicial. God, would you cleanse us from the inside out? Would your truth penetrate our innermost being, helping us become people of integrity? Would your righteousness live through us, Lord, in such a way that we would do the right thing consistently? Would you shot our feet with the gospel of peace, bringing peace into every situation? God, would you give us faith, the shield of faith, to protect ourselves against the onslaught of the enemy and the sword of the Spirit, praying, Lord, praying to you, our God, for deliverance and freedom and release. God, this is our prayer, we pray, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you're in a battle, know someone's in a battle, you can come and pray, and we'll pray with you. And Steve and the team lead us in our last song.